everyone. Uh, junior church, four years old through fourth grade. You're dismissed to walk up to the front here. Uh, please don't go outside until the adults take you, buddy. You can go right there. No, just we don't want you running all out there until the adults are here. So um, there's a lot of things going on with people and churches around here. Um, and so not everything is going on great. And so we're going to just take a moment and pray for some of the people's situation. We, you don't, we all don't need to know all of them, but um, God needs to move in some of these areas in a strong and impactful way. So we're going to start right now with just a word of prayer to lift this up. God, there are people who are hurting, as we just said, who are dealing with different situations and hurts and deep heart pains. And God, we ask that you would step into each situation, that you would make your presence known and you'd use this situation to bring people to a closer or to a first-time relationship with you. And Lord, as people are hurting, we know there are churches that are hurting. And I just want to lift them up and, God, move in there and bring your grace, your strength, your patience, and help to bring the unity that your son prayed for that night before the cross. God, we praise you for what you have done in and through us. We thank you for this gift of this family here. And help us to be emboldened, to be encouraged, and strengthened to go out and spread your name. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen. I, I, quick announcement also. Um, Donna, she's one of my favorite people over here because we got, you know, same name, kind of. Um, but uh, she came up and she goes, I want to make sure I'm a member here. I was before I went to Florida. And so we had the little talk back there. So she is officially still a member. So make sure you treat her like family. That means you get the teaser and everything like that. So so welcome officially right back into the family. There we go. So as a minister, you get called to go to different people's homes or to hospital visits and stuff like that. A minister was called to go to the hospital to be with um, a man named Norm and his family. So while he was there, he, uh, the family all gathered around and they asked the, sir, or the preacher to, to really just be with them as Norm was ending his time here on earth. And so they gathered closer and, and Norm started frantically moving and, and he couldn't speak at this point. And so uh, he grabbed a piece of paper and, and a pen and he wrote a message and handed it to the minister and the minister not wanting to break the, the ambiance of everything, the, the really surreal feeling there. He just put it in his pocket, and, and they prayed, and, and Norm passed. A few days later, they were at the funeral, and um, he was struggling with the emotion because he was so close to, to Norm and the family, and, and he just had that thought, I should read this note that Norm gave me. I mean, Norm was such a wonderful person. He, he would want to share some kind of spiritual insight. And so he he said, this is how he closed the sermon. He said, guys, I want to, I have a note from Norm, and I, I'd like to just read this and hear what uh, Norm would want us all to know. So he unfolded the paper, and he said, I haven't looked at it, but I'm sure they're inspirational. And so he opened it, and he says, move, you're standing on my oxygen tube. That's funny. <laughs> Some of you knew it was coming. Okay. So, wow, this is messed up today. 
Um, those were Norm's famous last words. Sometimes people in the throes of dying process have profound things to say. Um, Marie, Marie Antoinette, on her way to her death, accidentally stepped on the toe of her executioner, and her last words were, pardon me, sir. Just before he died, Pancho Villa, the first Mexican revolutionary general, said to his friend, don't let it end this way. Tell them I said something. Those were his famous last words. Um, the very last words of P.T. Barnum, the famous circus owner and entertainer, were, how were the receipts today? That's what he left the world with. Uh, John Newton, the former... Oh, my goodness, there is something wrong with my tablet today. This is weird. Um, John Newton, the former slave trader turned preacher, he's the hymn writer who came, uh, who wrote Amazing Grace. This, were, this was his last words. I am still in the land of dying, yet I shall be in the land of the living soon. All year we've been looking at the life of David and, and going through everything with him. Today we're going to turn to his last story, basically. We've seen a lot of his life, and David is called a man after God's own heart. Um, through our study this year, hopefully we've all learned some valuable lessons on how we can live out our faith so that we can be very similar to living the faith like David did. We've all been through ups and downs and victories and struggles. Today we're going to see the end of David's life here on earth. But before David dies, he has some very important messages that he wants to share. That he wants to pass on to his son David, or his son Solomon. David knew that his day was drawing closer, and even though he was a great leader, even though he was a masterful musician of worship, he could not escape death. He was destined to die like us. He would have to walk through that valley of the shadow of death about that same valley that he wrote about in Psalm 23. And for all of us who are children of God, death should not be something we dread. It's, it's really, death is a doorway. I got to see a sermon of a guy who, who built a coffin and he set it up there and he goes, this is my coffin. And a lot of people were really weirded out by that. But he keeps it in his, it's in his um, office now because his wife won't let him keep it in the garage. But he built this because he wanted to always be thinking, before I die, I want to make sure I say this or I do this. And so it's a constant reminder. I, I wanted to do the same thing, and my wife said, no, you know. I'm like, and I said, but it, we could use it as a coffee table, too. She didn't like that idea. But if we are children of God, we shouldn't fear death. When we walk through the doorway... We are set free from sin, sorrow, sickness, death, and despair in heaven. We're going to live in the true light and love with God our Father. And that should give us hope and comfort. And I think David knew that. And David had faith in the ultimate goodness and the blessing of God. Before David goes to be with the Lord, he is concerned with the ongoing well-being of both his heir, Solomon, and with the kingdom. David's not concerned with himself, but concerned about the devices of some who, who might come to destroy Solomon and the kingdom. Solomon was a young king who was summoned by his father's bedside. And the advice that David offered both is spiritual and practical. 
First of all, David restated the bedrock truths which would sustain this youthful monarch amid all the adverse adversaries around him. These initial words to Solomon, I think, really apply equally to us. So we're in chapter 2 of 1 Kings, starting in verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. Be strong and act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. And keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Here we see the aged king reminding his son, there is one way to walk with God. There is one way to be blessed on this earth. And walking with God, keeping God's decrees, will make sure that you are living not just in his blessing, but carrying on all those promises further on. And this is the only way to keep those promises that God had given David. And so David's trying to make sure you do this, Solomon. Basically, Solomon was reminded by his father, David, that he should live a life of integrity, of loyalty, and truth before God, before the people. Now, now this is a, a tricky thing. And notice I put the small word, truth, there as the underline. And that's, that's on purpose. Because today there's a lot of people saying that there is no real truth. There is different truths. My truth versus your truth. And Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says there is the truth. The absolute truth. And that is what we must live by. And when we live by the absolute truth, we will make sure that we are in the kingdom of God and following His principles and feeling His blessings. So uh, David, making sure Solomon knew the foundation for being a king to live this way, he also shares some practical steps to protect himself and the kingdom. Uh, verse 5. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them shedding their blood in the peacetime as if in battle, and with that blood he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him accordingly to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Many times when we read this section, we're like, okay, David's getting revenge here. That's what it really sounds like at first. He's just trying to mop up some of the mess that was there, and he wants to get revenge. That doesn't track with the David we've learned about all this time. David has proven himself to be anything but vindictive. If, if he was going to take revenge, he would have done that on Saul in the, in the cave. He would have done that many other times. Throughout his life, he has demonstrated an unusual capacity to forgive those who have wronged him. It's one of his most admirable attributes. What David is doing here... What David is doing here is warning Solomon to guard himself. Remember what this guy has done to me. Don't let that happen to you as well. Guard yourself against men like Joab and Shimea. 
these were individuals who would um, who could do both Solomon and the empire enormous damage if left unchecked. Throughout his reign, David had experienced great difficulty with Joab. Joab was this fierce general who uh, murdered in cold blood not only Abner and Amasa, his rivals, but even though King David said, do not kill my son, um, Absalom, Joab went and did it. So he wasn't willing to follow the king's decrees. And he had a lot of support, and that could mean division of the kingdom. He had also, um, Joab had also joined Adinajah in his conspiracy to take the throne away from Solomon. Joab was someone Solomon needed to deal with powerfully, swiftly, which Solomon did proceed to do. David also reminded Solomon that Shemaiah was another a contriving individual who simply could not be trusted. Have you ever told your kids, now I know you're friends with them, but don't trust that. I know this about them. We still want you to be nice to them. We still want you to include them in things, but don't trust them. One of our, well, both of our boys had a friend when we lived in a different place, and this kid was always telling stories about things, and Brady would come home believing absolutely every bit of it. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's all false. You can't believe this. And it took a while to try and get Brady to quit believing these tales. That, that's what David's doing here. He says, guard yourself. Don't just trust them. Make sure that you're putting God first. That's why he started there. Follow his decrees. Follow his commandments. And then don't trust these other guys who are not following that way. I think we all need to be reminded of that. Going to verse 8, David says, And remember, you um, you have with you Shemiah, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Beruim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Manahai. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Oh, David's getting harsh, isn't he? David had taken a lot of verbal abuses, but it's the curses, the insults from this man. And he took it when he shouldn't have. This guy was totally in the wrong. And he might do something to harm Solomon. Don't let this stand. Make sure you stand on God's principles and don't let these false curses, these false claims be given to you. It still sounds harsh. That's just me. It sounds harsh, but we've got to remember, what did God call David? A man after God's own heart. And so instead of looking at this in human perspective, we've got to try and see it through God's eyes. And if this guy would disobey the king, this guy who would dishonor the king and really call curses down, which means blaspheming God, don't let this type of attitude be around you. That's what David's saying about to Solomon. But notice what he says in verse 7. Show kindness to the sons of uh, Barzelia, of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Not only do you remember those who have called curses, but remember those who honor. When David fled in fear of the angry uprising from his son Absalom um, across the Jordan, these 
these guys gave him sanctuary. They helped him. And David wants Solomon to honor those who serve. I think this is something that we really seem to forget many times. We, we like to give honor to the person who's always up front and in the limelight, but we need to honor those who serve. Without those people, the ones in the limelight can't do their job either. And so I'm just going to tell you right now, we have a lot of people in this church who do things behind the scenes. People who do a lot of service. I get people coming up to me all the time thanking me for what I've done. Those are the real heroes, and we need to make sure we honor the servers, the ones who are doing that. I thought about asking everyone to stand up, but knowing you, you wouldn't do it. Because you serve in the background because you don't want the attention. And so I actually, at this point, started writing down names, and I was going to call you out, and I thought, no, you won't like that. You won't come back to service next week then. So hear me on this, please. I cherish you for all that you do to support and move this ministry. Thank you. David wants Solomon to do the same thing, to give honor to Barzillia's sons by dining at the royal table. They will be given the same kindness that David gave to Mephibosheth, Jonathan's crippled son. Remember this guy who was supposed to be in line, and it's Jonathan's son, and David takes him from being a crippled outlaw to dining at the king's table. Do the same thing. Give the same honor. If he does these practical steps, these simple, harsh, and severe as they were, would go far to help Solomon, to protect him, his reputation as a powerful ruler would spread rapidly. And his wisdom and understanding dealing with these difficult individuals would forewarn any others who had the wrong idea. I I went to work at a a dealership one time. needed a job, and they had this guy who was training us how to sell cars. Now, I thought, man, that's easy to sell a car. You need a car? I got one. There we go. We can sell it. But this guy, we found out later, he had stacked the deck. He had this guy came in who was totally not dressed right and wasn't going to fit the bill on purpose, and in front of everybody, this trainer yelled at him and kicked him out. And I found out it was all planned. Why would he do that? To get everybody to say, oh, this guy means business. He means it. He's, that's kind of what David's doing. He says, hey, these guys are the ones that you can't trust, so make sure you deal with it up front so that other rebel rousers won't stand up. Verse 10. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned for 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. Following these famous last words of David, he died. We are given no details of a great funeral which David must have been given by his devoted nation. David's reign is left with these realities. David reigned for 40 years. He died of natural causes at a good old age. Full of days, he ended his career with enormous wealth and power and honor. And he handed over his son a very stable and prosperous kingdom. Now, that's a good resume to leave behind. I mean, Solomon is set on this. David is indeed a great man, a great king. The tributes given to him by his contemporaries, later historians, do not do him justice. You can find so many people who write stories about how great King David was. 
But that's what people think of him. What really matters is not what we think of him, what people think, but what God thinks of David. And God actually tells Solomon and us what he thinks of David. David didn't just fade into the past. How many of you know who won the Super Bowl five years ago? Without looking it up. Do you really know? Five years ago? I think that was more than five years ago. I forgot the answer, so I'm not sure. (laughs) But you know why none of us remember? It doesn't really matter, does it? Now, we remember great events. Uh, How many of you know where you were when the Challenger blew up? We're getting an age group here. How many of you remember when the wall fell? Okay. How many of you remember when Tylenol was recalled? That's another age group. (laughs) I was one. How do you like that? Or when Elvis died. Yeah, I was seven months old. So there are great events and things that happen that make us remember. But David, he is remembered long past his reign because he walked with God because he is called a man after God's own heart. His fame, his influence, all because of his devotion to God will not just be remembered, but it is going to carry on. Look what God says to Solomon about that. First uh, Kings verse th- uh, chapter 3, 14. God says this to Solomon, and if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands, as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Right there he just said, your father followed me. He obeyed me. And then in verse um, 1 through 5 of 1 Kings 9, Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he planned to do. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had done before in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your petition. I have set this temple apart to be holy, this place you have built where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it. For it is dear to my heart. As for you, here it is, if, notice the contingency there, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness as your father David did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. Do you see what God just said? If you'll follow me with integrity. Integrity. My first sermon I ever preached was titled Integrity, the Lack of It. Because I saw a lot of non-integrity in people around We're supposed to have this integrity, which means what I say actually is what I do, that my words match my um, actions, that I am living fully and transparently for everyone to see. Follow me with integrity, with godliness. You know what godliness means? I'm doing what God wants. I'm filling my actions, my plans, my thoughts, my words with God's decrees, with God's wills. If you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as your father did. Right there, I just stopped when I was reading this. And I thought, 
would God say that about me to my kids? Would he be able to tell my kids, hey, follow me, obey me with integrity and godliness like your father Donnie did? And I just sat there in my office rereading that phrase. That's what God thought of David. He has called each one of us to pursue Him, to pursue God, to have a heart after Him, like David. I I think what God's saying right there is, here's the recipe for me to be able to say this to you. Follow me. Obey me like this. uh, Was David perfect in this? Absolutely not. But God overlooked that. He says, if you do these things, then you will... Um, A descendant will always sit on the throne of Israel. Unfortunately, Solomon did not stay true to the Lord as as his father David had done. And the kingdom was once again divided and turned into exile. Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, became one of the dumbest guys to walk the planet. He was handed a prosperous kingdom. He was told to by God, this is what you must do. And instead, he turned his eyes and followed other things. So much could be said about David and his life. While Solomon did achieve a lot because of what his dad did, ultimately Solomon failed. He failed to live up to those expectations that David had set, that God had called him to live up to. And Solomon is known as a wise, wealthy guy not as a man after God's own heart. So what does this mean? Throughout his life, David ping-ponged back and forth from being a courageous, faithful follower of God to stumbling and failing. Who here has done that with their faith? You've been great, you've been working, and, and then all of a sudden you, you jump on the wrong side and you're stumbling and failing. And yet God still called David a man after his own heart. David was not perfect. I'll tell you right now, there is one person who, there's two people who I know are guaranteed to be perfect. One's sleeping up here and the other one's eating in the back room. They're perfect, but we're not. If David was um, under halfway perfect, let's just put it in this perspective. If David, being a man after God's own heart, was halfway perfect, that would make me less than a quarter. Maybe. Please do not ask my wife what that percentage really would be like. But being a person after God's own heart doesn't mean we're perfect. It means that we love the Lord and remain faithful to Him throughout our lives, even when we mess up. Even when we stumble. I I got to teach my boys and my daughter how to ride a bike. Um... Mom couldn't do it because when they get hurt, what does mom want to do? It's okay. Let's go. We'll just do it again another time. And I'm like, nope, brush that off. Get going. Right? When a child falls on the bike, do you just tell them, oh, you failed. You're done. Never going to try it again. My, my child, one of them, says, you just want me to die. That's what he said. He's overdramatic, and he's not here to defend himself, so that will tell you which one it is. Okay? But I did not tell you Brady's name. All right. But what do you do? You push them to do it again, don't you? 
And when David fell, what do you think God did? He brushed him off and says, now let's do it again. Do it right. Do it better. Keep going. Even if we are not perfect, we can still become men and women after God's own heart. We can stumble in our faith. We can even step into some devastating sins, just like David did. And yet God will still be there waiting for us. And as soon as we turn, we can repent and he will, he will be there. When we seek him, he will be there. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. How many times have you felt defeated? How many times have you felt like you have failure in your faith? Have you stumbled in your life? I cannot be redeemed. What does God say? Do not be afraid, for I am with you. How many times are you discouraged? God gives you His promise here. I am your God, not the rest of that stuff. And I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. He is proclaiming, not only is He with us, Emmanuel, but we cannot be with God and keep sinning. He is going to lift us up out of that. We're going to be in His righteous right hand. His protection, His strength. Unfortunately, too many times we jump out. Keep going to that sin. But what does he say? I am right here. And he picks us back up again. David showed us that we have to fess up. We have to repent of our sins and return back to God. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we confess them. I'm going to tell you right now, that is very hard for many Christians. We don't want to confess where we're wrong. Instead, we want to put on good churchy clothes and act like we've got it all together. That's what we want to do. I've heard a lady say, well, me and my husband, we never fight. See, live in a different continent? Two people living together will fight. You know why? Because they're two different people. I know twins. They're the closest you're going to get, and they fight. Jesus' own disciples fought in front of him. We need to own up to it. We need to fess up to it and say, yeah, I, I failed in this. But God restored me. I can't show you the God salvation story. I can't tell you about his restoration. I can't tell you how he brings about healing until I told you about where I've been broken. And we need to fess up and we need to acknowledge that. We need to confess it. And then notice the contingency. If we do this, what does God give us? Forgiveness, cleansing, he shows us he's faithful. We do not have to be perfect. I am so glad we don't have to be perfect. God accepts us as we are. And then he promises to take away our sins, our wickedness, our unrighteousness, and present us as pure and holy. Because of that, Christians can walk with courage. Christians can face trials with confidence. David even penned this phrase in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod, your staff, protect and comfort me. I don't know what valley you're in. It could be a very deep, dark valley. But do you know that God is right there? 
He didn't promise to keep you away from the valleys. Instead, he promised to walk with you through them. David, a simple shepherd boy, lived a life trying to stay next to God. David pursued God. He pursued him. He chased after to make sure he was following God. And even on his deathbed, David pointed Solomon towards God. What about you? What will your last words be? As that story with Norm, which was a joke, it wasn't true as far as I know. I get to be with a lot of people as, as they're saying goodbye to family for the last time. And the number one thing I hear from people when they're close to that end is regrets. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. There's all these regrets of what they didn't do or what they should have done. Is that what you're going to say? Is that what you're going to do? Many times, and I'm going to speak to the guys right now, most guys are like, I wish I would have told my kids what I really felt about them. How I truly do love them. So why wait? I, I mean, really, why wait? It's not a sign of weakness. Every guy I've seen go through this has regretted that. I wish I didn't work so much and spent more time with my family. I wish I would have gone to church more. I wish I would have read more scripture. I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have been there to show my family the right way. I wish I would have. We don't know when our deathbed is. So maybe we should start pursuing His way now. So we don't have to have those regrets. Will your last words be trying to finally say those things you never took? Or will your last words be saying, I'm in the land of the dust dying right now. But soon, I'll be in the land of the eternal living. That's what I hope my last words are. That I am pointing to God. Jason, the guy who built the, the coffin, he he is trying to make sure he's talked to his kids. He's, he's taken them and had these conversations in front of his own coffin. And this is what he said, one day I'm going to be in this and it's going to be buried and I'm not going to be here. So I want you to hear this now. Don't remember me, but remember where I pointed you to Christ. Forgive me when I failed because I did not live up to the standards, but I can see so much more in you. Jason is making sure his family knows to go to God. What are our last words going to be? You never know when it's done. You never know when it's a surprise trip to the ER that doesn't make it. You never know when you should have listened to your wife. That's for someone over here. You never know when you're not going to have that chance again. You want to be a person called after God's own heart. That means we pursue Him so much that our last words are in conjunction with everything else we've been doing, which is pursuing God. I want my last words, I really want my last words to be preaching and teaching about God. I honestly would love to die during a sermon. I, it'd be freaky for everybody else. But I would go out doing what I love. Making sure you know about God. 
That's what I want to do until I can't speak anymore. I want everyone to know, and that means that not just in the pulpit, but in my life. I have to make sure my last words are pointing to God. So you know what that means? Every word needs to be pointed at God. That's the call right now. Because we do a horrible job. We do a horrible job of making sure all of our words are seasoned with Christ. That we are lifting up and encouraging and and building others up instead of tearing down and causing gossip or, or troubles. Scripture says this is what we do. And if we live this way, pursuing God with these kind of words, imagine what God's going to say when we come home. What a glorious day. So will you do that? Let's stand. We're going to close in prayer and then go back to our God and to worship. Father, we thank you so much that, God, you are a God of restoration, that you are a God of forgiveness. God, we thank you that we don't have to be perfect. We thank you that even though we mess up and we, we, we know we can come to you with forgiveness, with repentance, and you will pour on us, you will lavish on us restoration and healing. Lord, help us to learn from David here. To make sure that our words are always pointing to you so that no matter what happens in our life, that finally in the end people will say, they died with you, with God on our lips. Rise us up that way as a church, God. I thank you. And as we gather again right now to lift up your name in honor and worship, May this not just be pleasing to you, but empowering that it shakes the foundations of hell because we truly believe. And in your name we pray. Amen.